baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello again and welcome to From the Diamond. I'm Grant McCauley. We're closing in on the halfway point of the season with the All-Star break right out in front of us. Just one more series to go as we sit here on a Friday chatting some Braves and baseball with you. And there are a lot of good things to talk about when it comes to the Atlanta Braves who are sitting in first place after beating up on their division rival, the Philadelphia Phillies, for Independence Day. The Braves still sitting in first place as the Phillies tumble down in the standings to third place. And the Washington Nationals are now the team directly in the rearview mirror for the Braves. We'll talk an awful lot about that, of course, and size up what's been going on with the Braves over the past week. They continue to win series. That is a good thing. That's what Atlanta sets out to do each and every time they match up with a new opponent. And they accomplished that not once but twice since the last time that we chatted here on From the Diamond as they beat the Mets 2 out of 3 over the weekend and then took 2 out of 3 from the Phillies after the off day on Monday, culminating with a big-time win, couple of big-time wins to take that series from Philadelphia. We'll break all that down, look at some of the key performers of that, and get you set for the All-Star Game, which is coming up on Tuesday. The Braves have four representatives, three of those players, Freddie Freeman, Ronald Acuna Jr., and Mike Soroka, and manager Brian Snitker will also be making the trip as he is part of the National League coaching staff under Dave Roberts of the Dodgers. So we'll hear from those four on this show. We'll also hear from some of the other Braves who had a big impact on the past week for the club. And I'm very excited about this week's guest, He's an all-star in his own right, many times over, a two-time National League MVP and a Braves legend. He, of course, is Dale Murphy, and he will join the show a little bit later to chat about the 2019 club, what he sees in this Atlanta Braves team, and some other things from the world of baseball. So I'm looking forward to chatting with Dale Murphy on this episode of From the Diamond. As always, and if you're new to the show, I invite you to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Leave a rating and a review. Those are always appreciated. And make sure you're following along on Twitter. You can find the show at FromTheDiamond underscore. And I am at Grant McCauley. That's G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. FromTheDiamond.com. You can find every episode of the show and all the other articles and fun stuff we got coming at you all season long. You may have noticed on Twitter over the past week, I'm doing an all-star baseball card giveaway. So you can get a Mike Soroka, a Ronald Acuna Jr., and a Freddie Freeman baseball card. I'm going to pick the winner on Tuesday night as the all-star game goes down in Cleveland. All you have to do is follow along on Instagram now. You can find me at Grant McCauley, just like my Twitter. You can also find the show at From the Diamond. No underscore for that. There's a post on my Instagram, which has the three cards that you can win. All you have to do to be entered to win those is to throw a like and maybe a comment if you'd like to on that as well. And I'll pick a random winner again on Tuesday night. So let's jump into this week's show and talk about the week that was for the Atlanta Braves as they turn the page to the month of July. And that's after going 20-8 and in the month of June and opening up a big lead in the NL East. It stands at six games now over Washington as the Nationals are now the team in second place heading into the final weekend before the All-Star break. Braves getting set to battle it out with the Miami Marlins at SunTrust Park. And then it will be All-Star break time. 
But the Braves took two out of three from the Phillies, and that allowed the Red Hot Nationals to jump Philadelphia in the standings. So there are a couple of teams now chasing the Braves and within striking distance, and there's still a lot of baseball left to be played as the Braves head into this final weekend of the first half with 74 more games to go in the season. A lot of things can happen over the next three months. Of course, the most important thing the Braves can do is handle business on their end and not spend too much time looking at the standings. That red-hot month of June was something that caught the attention of the baseball world. And first baseman Freddie Freeman said that success was simply playing the way they know they're capable of. 20 wins, that's pretty impressive. It's hard to do that. Sometimes you just got to look back and take a step back and see what we really accomplished during a month. Um, we've extended our lead. Hopefully we can get off to a good start in July. Braves were able to do just that as they came home to SunTrust Park to open up a little six-game homestand before the All-Star break and took two out of three from the Phillies. Game one did not go the way that the Braves wanted to as they were shut out by Aaron Nola and Hector Neris in a 2-0 loss to Philadelphia. But to me, though, the big takeaway from that opener was seven innings of two-run ball from Dallas Keuchel, who had his best start in a Braves uniform in his first outing at SunTrust Park, and he was pleased with the progress he's made over the first three starts. felt great. I'm not accustomed to to five and dive so it didn't really set too well on me the first two outings and I you can say that well I missed three months of action but you know, I don't make excuses I I'm ready to go and seven's really the benchmark for me I, I don't feel whole unless it's seven plus so that's what I strive for every time out. Keiko realizes jumping into the season in June was going to be a challenge but he feels like he's finding himself quickly as he takes his turn every fifth day. I've had a tough test the first three the first three outings and um I think I've held my own, and that's easy with Brian back there and, and flow. But just trying to get a good flow for myself and get into the rhythm of the game, especially switching leagues and having to hit and get up at the bat, it takes a little bit more out of you than you think it does. So I, I think I'm there physically and mentally, and, and uh, so hopefully we can start rolling. As you might imagine, a former Cy Young Award winner has some pretty high expectations when he takes the ball. That's especially true of Dallas Keuchel, who wants to leave each start feeling like he gave his team the best chance to win. I expect a lot out of myself. You know, if I don't have a quality start in, in the box or feel like I contributed enough, then I don't feel right. So I would say one out of three was decent enough, but I hold myself to high standards, so, and that's the way it's always going to be. I mean, I, I expect a lot of myself and you know, just trying to compete to the highest level and make sure I leave it all on the field and, and have some fun. After a tough luck loss for Keuchel as the Braves' offense was quieted in the opener, Atlanta started piling up runs in bunches to take the series from the Phillies the Braves won game two by a 9-2 score and then took the finale 12-6 on the 4th of July. Bryce Wilson was slotted back into the rotation as Mike fulton is down in AAA trying to figure a few things out. For Wilson, his second start was a winning effort against the Phillies with six innings of two-run ball in game two of the series. For Wilson, this represents an opportunity in the starting rotation. And despite a bumpy start first time out in Chicago, he said they weren't trying to reinvent the wheel second time out. You know, it was great just coming to the game with the same mindset and same game plan, you know, attack hitters with fastball. And, you know, we incorporated the hard slider this game as well as the the slower one. And, uh, you know, we were able to get the slow one across from first pitch strikes and hard slider a little bit later in counts and just, you know, throw a lot of strikes, execute the fastball. It was nice. Wilson relied on the fastball heavily the first time through the order against the Phillies, and he was able to incorporate some of the rest of his arsenal as well. And that led to a quality start for the young righty with six innings of two-run ball to pick up the win over Philly. With the All-Star break just a few days away, Wilson was optioned back to AAA where he's going to stay until the Milwaukee series after the break. Brian Snitker said that Wilson is lined up for a start on July 16th against the Brewers. Meanwhile, Fulton has made two starts down in Gwinnett. Some encouraging results, especially the first time out, but still working his way back after such a rough start in Atlanta. 
Fulte pitched into the eighth inning his first time out and then tossed five innings of two-run ball in his second start on July the 4th. He's going to try to string together some quality outings and get himself back to Atlanta in the second half, so we'll be interested to see the progress that Fultonevich makes at the AAA level over the coming weeks. As for the series finale against Philadelphia, Atlanta clocked five more home runs, which brings the season total for the Braves up to 140. That ties the franchise record set back in 2003 for most home runs before the All-Star break, and they've got three games to go against the Marlins to break that record. Shortstop Dansby Swanson, one of the best stories of the season so far. I think that might even be an understatement. He's got a career-high 17 home runs after two bombs and five RBI against Philly on Thursday night. Swanson said this lineup has put together great at-bats top to bottom and done all the little things it needs to do to succeed as well. I think we just have a lot of good players and a lot of good hitters. And, you know, when we're kind of all in rhythm, you know, it seems like it just is never-ending. You know, just one through eight, uh, depending on which pitcher's hitting that day. But, uh, you know, it's a deep lineup. And, like I said, with our ability not only to hit but also to run the bases and all that kind of stuff, it allows us to be able to kind of put up numbers quick. Swanson added that no one may have predicted all the home runs the Braves are hitting, but no one's surprised either. I knew that we had a lot of good players. Nothing really changed from last year that much. You know, you bring in J.D. and you bring in Mac and Joycey, you know, and just kind of adds that much more depth to our team. And the younger guys grew, you know, a year older and, and got better. And uh, the veteran guys just keep doing what they do. And I think that it just starts to flow really, really nicely uh, with the guys the way they the way everyone challenges themselves and the way we kind of have a, you know, compete against each other, which is, you know, definitely pay dividends for us. So all that offense in the final two games against the Phillies gave the Braves a series win, two out of three against their division rival, and that shook up the standings a little bit in the NL East as it's now the Braves, the Nationals, and then the Phillies, the top three teams in the NL East. Looking ahead to next week, the Braves have three players heading to the All-Star game. Freddie Freeman is joined by the first-timers Ronald Acuna Jr. and Mike Soroka, and manager Brian Snitker is on the NL coaching staff. For Freeman, this is his fourth All-Star game, but he said he's excited to be able to share it with his manager this time around. Uh, it's special. We were just in there talking about it, and, you know, he deserves everything he's getting right now the last couple of years. You know, when you spend 40-plus years mm-hmm. in the game of baseball, especially with one organization, it's, it's, I'm so happy that he's finally getting everything he should have been getting a long time ago. He's the head of this team, and we, we run through walls for that guy, so now he gets to experience a division title last year, and now he gets to go to an All-Star game. It's pretty special. Meanwhile, it's the first All-Star game for Ronald Acuna Jr junior but you feel like this could become an annual occurrence he's excited and thankful to be heading to cleveland for the midsummer classic next week first and foremost obviously i want to thank god i want to thank all the fans for all the support that they gave me obviously throughout the whole voting process uh my family all my people back in venezuela who did the voting as well and uh what can i say i mean i'm extremely excited and hopefully there'll be many more to come but as far as this one i'm just going to go out there give my best effort and uh try to enjoy myself also making his first all-star team is braves right-hander mike soroka His season has been just what Atlanta needed in the rotation, but he recognizes there were plenty of people playing a part in earning this honor. Indescribable. I mean, it's just something that wasn't on my mind for so long, really. I mean, it was just the beginning of the season was just about getting back to the big leagues, being able to prove yourself to the team, let them know that you can be out there every fifth game getting back after it. You know, I've strung a few together at the beginning of the year and then just rumblings and all that kind of stuff, but you kind of put that out of your mind because it's so far away. So to get that call when we were in there Snit gave us all the news in the uh, in the clubhouse to be able to share with all these guys that have been there with me and are ultimately the reason that I'm there I wouldn't be there without tons of good plays behind me bullpen coming in uh, taking out some inherited runners as well and then uh, 
Also, Mac can uh, flow behind the plate. Soroka also said this group is excited to share this all-star experience together. It's going to be amazing to be able to get the tips and advice from Freddie. You know, he's been there a few times. And then uh, also to share for the first time with Ronnie and then also Snit. Snit and I were both talking about we're going to be throwing water in, in uh, Ronald's face in the home run derby and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, those are the experiences that are going to last a lifetime and, and memories that you cherish forever. So, you know, it just brings us that much closer and hopefully guys that you get to play with for a long, long time. So Mike Soroka, Ronald Acuna Jr., Freddie Freeman, and Brian Snitker will be heading to the All-Star break when the Braves conclude their first half after a three-game series against the Miami Marlins. I want to continue our baseball discussion here on From the Diamond and welcome in a very special guest at this time. He needs no introduction, but since this is a podcast, a spoken medium, I'm going to give him an introduction anyway. He is longtime Braves great, two-time MVP, as a matter of fact, multi-time All-Star as we approach the All-Star game. He is Dale Murphy, the Braves legend. He joins me here on From the Diamond. Murph, been looking forward to doing this for a while. Uh, thrilled to have you on, and I appreciate the time so much. Absolutely, Grant. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's a, a fun year to talk Braves baseball, and uh, I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, you got it. Now let's start with the 2019 Braves. They kind of picked up where that 2018 team left off in terms of going out there and continuing the winning ways, which, of course, after a rebuild, that's something Braves fans were definitely looking forward to, and I think this team has provided a lot of highlights. They've got this great young core of players and I know you've had a chance to watch these guys. You've been around a lot of them over the years as well. What do you think makes this such a special group here in 2019? You're right. It's so good to see this uh, a year of consistency back-to-back. I think, uh, you know, it kind of snuck up on everybody uh, uh, last year. You know, maybe a little uh, ahead of the plan on the rebuild, but that's what happens when you have good young players. Right. And uh, now it's even better. Uh, Soroka's emergence, I think, and obviously getting Josh Donaldson and mm-hmm. uh, now Keiko. But the core is there, like you say, a good young group. And Freddie Freeman is just kind of the solid uh, mainstay veteran. It's a combination that looks really good, and you can sense it. I think Brian Snitker's settled. I just think that they're all kind of comfortable with their roles, what they're doing, what's expected of them. And so this is what you get. And then you add some talent into that and some young enthusiasm. I think uh, it just looks like, yeah, it's gelling and that it's going to be a competitive organization year in and year out. I think they've uh, handled some of the front office changes really well. Alex Anthopoulos is really well respected and has done a good job elsewhere. You know, it's just kind of like they say, it's, they're just clicking. And it's exciting to see. I think uh, bringing Josh Donaldson in was a really interesting move from, you look at last couple of years, he's been hurt, but he did have a good track record when he's healthy. And he's healthy and motivated, and that was a great addition. So, you know, I'm like all Braves fans. I really like what I see out there. It's definitely a lot of fun to watch. And I know that was a term where you would hear that a lot of times when clubs are going through that time where they're trying to find that identity or they're trying to get back to maybe where they were before or to get to some place they've never been in terms of, a, I guess, a collective group of guys. And at the forefront of this certainly is that youth movement. I want to talk to you about Ronald Acuna Jr. for a moment because he's a guy that when you watch him play, you know that you're going to see something special And I think you can count those guys, maybe not on one hand, but probably on two hands in all of the sport. He has a chance to be a really special player. What are your impressions of him as you've gotten to see just over a calendar year of what kind of impact he's made in the major leagues in such a short amount of time? 
Yeah, it's uh, hard to put into words exactly because, you know, just to see a guy come on and move into the leadoff spot, which, you know, personally, I don't I don't know if he's going to be a leadoff hitter his whole career, but you can't argue with what's going on with him no and, the, and the Braves in that leadoff spot. I mean, to put some thunder in there just like that at the beginning of the game at the top of your lineup is really intriguing. There's just really nothing he can't do, and I think he enjoys playing which is, you know, sounds kind of weird, but he has fun out there. It looks like he's got a, uh, an attitude that you kind of need. You know, every day's just new. I'm going to go out there and have fun and let my talent kind of show up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he can run, he can throw, and he, he can hit. I, I've i never seen – I mean, his bat gets through the zone in just in a, in a way that's really unique, and there's no other way to, to say it. It just gets – you know, from the hitting position through the point of contact, it's just uh, remarkable. And so it's just fun to watch him play. You know, just to see right off the get-go, I'm used to the 80s where we had usually, except the years we had Claudel Washington, kind of the guy that could hit some home runs, not yeah. not like uh, Acuna does. But my generation was a typical leadoff guy, get on, steal a base. And this is just, he's he's kind of an example of what's going on in the game that these guys can do just so much stuff out there. He's just, it's just fun to watch. He's just, he's the kind of guy you want to tune in and, and watch the game. That's what I think is exciting. People are, you know, watching and that's what we need in baseball is just guys that have good personalities and just are incredibly talented. Yeah, I would say must-see TV, if you will, and something that when kids watch him, it gets them excited about the sport of baseball as well. And you right. kind of stop and then realize this kid's only 21 years old, so he's got an awful long time <laughs> ahead of him uh, to carve out a spot. And his, his buddy, Ozzy Albies, these two are thick as thieves, and they seem to be having a lot of fun together. And that, I think, is kind of the energy of this club. And I, I want to ask, just because we could talk about Ronald Acuna Jr., Ozzy Albies, some of these guys for you know an hour and, and just continue to sing the praises, and deservedly so, but... When you look at a team and an entire season, 162 games, and what it takes to get through that and then hopefully play more games when you get into October, we can talk about all those numbers and the wins and losses, but the game is not just that. It's also about the people. I know you played for quite a few managers throughout your career. Could you talk a little bit about what makes a great manager and maybe why Brian Snitker's players seem to enjoy playing for him so much? Absolutely, yeah. I, the two best I played for, of course, were Joe Torrey and Bobby Cox. I mm-hmm. mean, I had my best years under Joe and I got my start because of Bobby. You know, we weren't as good as the teams are now and later in Bobby's career, but I know what it's like to play for him. And I just think baseball of all the sports, the leader, the manager, um, it's less important in the sport of baseball to be perfect in strategy. I mean, you can't be perfect in strategy in the other sports as well. But what I mean is, as far as implementing a game plan, baseball is a game where, you know, every day you play and you try to make moves as a manager, you try to pinch hit the right guy, you look at the numbers and all that kind of stuff, you try to make the right changes as far as the bullpen is concerned. You know, so much of those moves are dependent on your players. Charlie Culberson, for instance, is just a great guy to go to the bench with. You know, if you don't have a guy like that, it's hard to make that move as a manager. My point being... There's a lot of losses. There's going to be a lot of strikeouts. So what you need in a manager is what Brian Snitker has is a team that will rally behind him, 
not in a rah-rah sense, but just in a respect sense that I respect this guy. I'm going to go out and play hard tonight. I know that if I do make a mistake, it's not going to be the end of the world. Now, if you make a mistake in the NFL, it sometimes, you know, I've had boys that have been there. You know, it's just a much more intense game. And, and head coaches, it's just different. So what you need in baseball is a steady, strong, same day-in, day-out guy that understands the game, that there's going to be some hiccups along the way. But he's also going to just be there for his players. The way he talks about them in public, uh, supports them, isn't that negative. And that's what you need in baseball. That's what my experience with Bobby and Joe is, and I think that's what everybody's experience is witnessing what Brian Snicker does. He's good to play for, and that's what you need. You don't need to play baseball with a sense of fear. And during timeouts, you know, uh, head coaches in basketball, you know, are drawn up the plan. They got to know X's and O's. It's yeah. not that Brian Snitker doesn't know X's and O's. He, he knows what's going on, and he's got coaches to help him. But in the big scheme of things, you need a quiet, steady, determined guy that's in your corner all the time. That's what he is, and that's why you're going to see uh, long-term success with his ball clubs. And you're managing you know, 25 different personalities in addition to 25 different talents on a given day. And that's a hard, more nuanced part of the leadership aspect of that. And for Brian, you know, being a baseball lifer that's been four plus decades, he's seen things from the big league side now, obviously seen things from the minor league side. And a lot of people I know look at the numbers day in and day out and think that's kind of the end all be all of player evaluation and decisions. But, you know, take yourself, for example, I mean, you had great numbers in the minor leagues, but for you, one of the big things, of course, was finding that position to play. That was a little bit harder at first. Can you walk us through a little bit about how you went from behind the plate to ultimately becoming a gold glove outfielder? And then I know Bobby Cox was a pretty critical important right. to making that change for you. You know, my situation was the same thing I think that Brian Snitker would do for a guy like me. My offense was coming on, but my defense was struggling. And it's kind of like, look, I like this kid, but what are we going to do with him? Well, let's move him to first base. Bob said, you know, we can hide him there. Maybe catching isn't going to work out. And as it turned out, they couldn't hide me there. I think I led the league in airs. But Bobby, you know, he, you know, you could sense that the organization and Bobby, you know, they, they saw what I could do. And I sensed that they had some belief in me. And then, uh, you know, let's stick with this guy. Give him a chance. If there's one thing that Bobby's known for is he'll give you a chance. I think every player know that. And that's the way baseball managers and organizations, they can't give up on guys too quick because they have a little quirk or a little downtime. Baseball is such a unique game in that respect. And so Bobby's just like, Murph, what do you think about the outfield? And I knew I didn't have any other options. And he put me right into the outfield in spring training, you know, you in uh, 1980. He says, you're in there. And so, you know, it's like, okay, let's go. I ended up making my first all-star team that year. So it, it was motivating for me that they gave me a chance. I think that's the thing. You know, this is a different game where you do have to give guys chances and that they're going to fail. But you look at an overall body of work and say, hey, there's something good in this kid. Let's see what happens. So, you know, that's – that's the story. You don't have a leash that's 100 feet long, but you got a longer leash in baseball. And when managers and coaches understand that, which most of them do, that frees up the guy to say, okay, I'm going to be here the long term. I'm not going to panic. And that's what happened to me. I mean, I couldn't be more thankful for the Braves for sticking with me. 
And that confidence, I'm sure, went a long way towards your success. And I like to ask this because it seems like there's an endless supply of these, and I'm sure you have a lot of memories of Bobby Cox over the years. Is there any one thing from your experience with him that stands out that you look back on that time or that memory and say, you know what, that is Bobby Cox to a T right there? Well, (laughs) you know, Bobby, as we all know, is very, very competitive, and he loves his players. I've heard that. You knew you came first, but I think one of the formative stories for me and for a lot of players was, I'll shorten the story, but the bottom line was we're playing the Yankees, who Bobby had just left the year before, 77, Mm -hmm. as the first base coach. And Ted hires him, probably the youngest manager for sure at that time. We're playing the Yankees. And uh, Reggie Jackson kind of gets into it with Mickey Mailer. Mickey's throwing him high and tight. Reggie didn't like it. Reggie hits a ground ball to me at first. I throw it to Mickey, cover him first, and Reggie tries to run him over as they pass first base. Oh, wow. And I come back to the bench, and Bobby's like, well, what the heck happened? What was going on? And I said, well, Reggie tried to run over Mickey after he passed it because he didn't like where he's – Mick threw a couple up and in. You know, you didn't want to throw Reggie low – so Mickey's like, I got to throw him curveballs, and, and I don't want to throw him low in the zone. And Reggie didn't like it. And Bobby goes, okay, next time Reggie's up, we're going to hit him. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so, you know, this, again, the context. Yeah. The context of, of me and Glavin, who all Braves fans are very familiar oh, yeah. with. When you look at the context, you know, people say, well, didn't you get mad at Bobby or Glavin? I go, no, I got to take you back to 1978. Bobby doesn't care about anybody except his players. And so Reggie got hit next time. I'll I'll just end the story there. We didn't have a fight. But listen to the context. We're in spring training. Right. I mean, the point is Bobby's told all of us by saying that, that we're going to hit Reggie. It's like he was just with Reggie the year before. He knows Reggie. Yeah. They just won a world championship. He's Mr. October, but he's like, you're not going to mess with my guys, Reggie. You can't just take cheap shots at my guys. So as young players, we probably weren't going to say that, but Bobby's like, this is what I'm going to do. So it's an odd example, unless you're familiar with the game of baseball, and this isn't how you do it in high school or college. I'm not saying that, but there does come times in, in Major League Baseball where there is kind of the law of the jungle. And so I was like, dang, this guy, he's like serious. He loves us. No one's going to push us around. And uh, it's very motivating to play for someone like that. And again, it's important when I share that story, it's important to remember the context. Sure. People, you know, it doesn't mean you just willy-nilly throw at people. But if you look at that, Reggie, spring training, world champions, we're probably going to finish last. we got a bunch of young kids. It's like, dang. This guy's serious. Yeah, that's your ultimate competitor. And for those who followed your time in Atlanta, Bobby was obviously there, as we've been talking about, at the very beginning of your big league career. He was gone, though, before 82 as Joe Torre came in and took over. And then back, Bobby came as part of the front office just a few years later and was actually the man who ended up trading you away to the Phillies in 1990. I mean, that's quite a full circle for yourself and for Bobby Cox. And you mentioned the little dust up with Glav and yourself as well. It's just kind of funny to see, you know, how long a baseball career is and how many roads seem to intersect for the two sides. Yeah, that for sure was, you know, that's very memorable, very awkward. Obviously, Glav and I laugh about it now, but 
you know, people would say to me, well, what did you expect? I said, look, I paid for Bobby. You knew. <laughs> yeah, I knew what to expect. You know, and that's what I think the story is. Blav said, you know, hey, Bobby, it's Murph. And, and Bobby basically said, I don't care who it is. <laughs> you know, we got to do what we got to do. And that's how that kind of respect. Here's the other thing. There's leaders, you know, as players. But your leader has got to be the manager. Yeah. He's got to have the clubhouse. He's got to have all the players. And his word, whatever he says, has to go. And it has to be handled with respect. Because you mentioned earlier the strength of Brian Snitker and the good managers is the course of 162 games and 25 guys. Well, you know, Grant, and anyone who watches baseball knows that these guys right now that he has are completely different, not completely different, but different than the ones he started with. No doubt. He's got to send guys down. He's got to trade guys. That's the the behind-the-scenes stuff that goes on that people, when he makes a decision – to move Josh Donaldson, I think wanted to hit second, move him to fourth. Josh Donaldson has got to say, yeah, okay, I'm in. I'm all in. So uh, it just brings back to me that Bobby said, look, I don't care who it is. This is what we're doing. Everybody's got to fall in line. Or you start to mess up the chemistry, which I feel with the Braves. I feel chemistry with the Braves. I, I'm not so sure I feel it with other clubs. We'll see. Uh, but anyway. That's my feeling about it. You talk about leaders. It's got to be the manager. That's what I think. You wrote for The Athletic a couple of weeks back that I, it was really interesting to me just in terms of hearing from someone that spent a couple of decades competing at the highest level and not necessarily in today's era with today's athlete, if you want to call it that, because we see a lot of debate about bat flips and celebrations and showing or hiding emotions on the field. So many people, I think, love it. Other people seem to have a problem with it at times. Where do you stand on that kind of, I guess, showmanship that we're seeing in the game these days, the individuality of these players? I think it's a good part of the game that has been suppressed over the years, and I don't like a game that stays the same exactly. For instance, one of the things that's fun about golf is, I don't know what the name of the tournament is, but in Phoenix, where they put 10,000 people around a par three and everybody's going crazy. They boo the guys if they don't hit it on the green and, and there's just electricity like you never see, except maybe the Ryder Cup or a major, you know, around a green, trying some different things. But generally, I don't think golf has changed that much as far as what they expect out of their players. And so a lot of people are just like, it's not that exciting. You've got to have big personalities you got to have guys that enjoy the game, but you don't want guys showing up the other players. Flipping your bat is not, to me, a sign of disrespect right. or, you know, screaming after you strike out a big guy out there like the pitcher the other day that did it in Boston, Stroman. Yeah. He was very demonstrative and excited. So that gets eyeballs on the game. Again, he's, there are times, Grant, when it's directed at another player. And that's inappropriate. That's taunting or showing a guy up. But for so many years, we interpreted general celebration and having fun out there as showing up another person and being bad sport. So I think we embrace it. Kids are watching the game on their phone. They're going to see a highlight, and they enjoy bad flips. Let's loosen up a little bit. And I think everybody knows where the line gets crossed. My main point is you can do all that stuff and not direct it at the other team. Just have fun. 
Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think if there was a slogan or a mantra to have when you go out there on a baseball field or really any sporting field or competition, just have fun is a pretty darn good one, I would imagine. Exactly. And, you know, within your personality. But if your personality is exuberance, you know, that's fine. I'll tell you one thing that kind of bothers me a little bit nowadays, Grant, is sometimes they're a little too chummy out there. Between opposition, I think there's a little too much fraternization. Yeah, I've noticed that. If that kind of bothers me a little bit, that's a different topic. But I want them to go out and have fun with their own teammates <laughs> and enjoy the game. Now, it's a personality thing. Freddie Freeman is not, you know, Ronald Acuna, and that's what's good about it. I'm not saying Freddie Freeman or Mike Trout need to act all crazy and throwing things everywhere. Just be yourself. If yourself is exuberance let it show. Yeah, those personalities are important. I think personalities in addition to, you know, being able to see these athletes competing on the highest stage, that's what draws people uh, to your sport as a brand. And one of the things I think that everybody's looking at right now is there's an awful lot of home runs being hit. I think we all enjoy them for obvious reasons, but the league is setting a new home run record each and every year. Murph, do you think this is a good thing for baseball, or do you think that with the home runs and the strikeouts and the walks, kind of the three true outcomes thing, do you think the game is suffering in some ways from the little nuanced perspective of what makes a more complete baseball game? I think in some ways, yes. When the home run becomes so common, then I think you know you do lose a little bit because – that's one thing. great things about a home run is it's not that common. But if it starts to be 50 and 60 a year, I think the game is a little bit diminished. Uh, walks are a problem. Didn't we just see last night as we, as you and I talked on this podcast, there was a, a two-run lead by the Dodgers, and they, the five guys were walked, I yeah. think, in the ninth. You know, I, I've been there on bases loaded walks. I don't think I've ever seen five walks in a row with two outs. You know, you find a guy that could throw strikes and you always take your chances on letting the ball get hit. My point is, a lot of walks, a lot of strikeouts, like you say, the three true outcomes. I don't think it's necessarily very good. I think there's more parts of the game that there are going to be trends. There's going to be certain things that happen. But Grant, you know that what happens in the postseason, all of a sudden everything tightens up and Mm -hmm. contact becomes that much more important. So I think it's short-sighted to say to yourself, oh, it doesn't matter what I do. I'm just going to go up there and, you know, swing out of my shoes because you get into the playoffs and all of a sudden everybody's expecting you to sacrifice fly with the guy on third. you got to make contact. So, you know, some of these trends I think are trends. I think we're going to go back and, and see clubs analyze, like, what are we teaching? That's not a good thing. You know, we need more contact. Yeah, it starts. I think it's uh, you have to be able to – practice fundamentals would be an easy way of looking at it but how are you growing these players and what are you teaching them on the way up it's got to be a huge part of that because we continue to see changes in the game and you bring up the playoffs which is a i think a great point for this one because the game's always evolving but do you think we've kind of reached that point of no return when it comes to starting pitchers which kind of includes phasing out the complete game because i don't know too many baseball games that i'm watching these days it doesn't involve upwards of five or six different relievers in a night, at least between the two clubs, and sometimes for both sides. It's kind of crazy to see this many pitchers used in one particular Major League Baseball game. I think baseball will make some adjustments, rule changes or things. I mean, something. You know, the only other solution, where you know we're burning out our bullpen guys. Yeah. We're going to have to add two spots to the roster for our pitchers. Sure, But if it's a trend, you know, that's okay. I've argued in favor of, 
of Major League Baseball going down to colleges, high schools, all the non-professional leagues and exerting their influence on getting pitch counts and taking care of pitchers. Because the theory is we got to limit their pitches because as a youngster, they threw too many pitches. So that limits their innings pitch, and that is a domino effect. So I think the trend will come back to a certain extent. The pitchers will be throwing more innings eventually. But, yeah, we, we're going to have to do something because that's why I think baseball ought to be a little more progressive and looking at things. I know they're looking at things, but, but we may have to change some rules, you know, and that's okay. I'm okay with that as long as they make sense. Some of them don't make sense, like moving the mound back. I don't right. think that's, that's not you know, a very popular idea. So, you know, we'll see. Yeah, some trends uh, I think are trends, and some things, yeah, we, we may never see again, and that's okay. You know, there's certain things that happen in the game. Athletes are different. But I'll say one thing about fundamentals. I talked to a minor league coach about it, and, and one of these things he said, he said, Murph, we moved these kids so quick now that baseball is a game where you need experience for base running, as, as an example. There are some things that you've got to learn in games. They're really hard to talk about yeah. until you really experience them. And when you, when guys get to double A, you know, they're ready to go to the big leagues. And I'm not saying they're not ready. I'm just saying that's the way they are. And I played winter ball. I played two years of instructional league. I made every stop in the minor leagues. And that's how you learn some things that are really challenging now for these kids to learn because they move so quick. Yeah, and that's fascinating to think about it. The less reps you have as you're kind of practicing and growing as a player, well, then obviously the less experience you have when you get to the big league level where talent right. can take you there, but it's going to take, um, I think, right. a certain amount of polish to keep you there because it's a well, results-driven it, I, business for sure. Exactly, and it's little things that you know I harp on all the time. Outfield play, thrown to the right base, hitting the cutoff, man, yep. and base running. Brad, I, I'll be honest with you, I see a lot of base running mistakes things that I just are fundamental. I'm going, why did he take that extra base right there? Well, that's a perfect example is a coach can tell you in a ball, Hey, that's not a good time to do this. Well, he may be in double a in two months and not seen that situation yet. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It's hard to experience it, but base running mistakes will kill you over 162 games. They may not hurt you tonight, but if you make four or five of them during the course of the year, that could be some big games that you didn't run the bases well, and it's not necessarily your fault. It's that you've got to learn those things in the minor leagues, and they rushed them through. I say rushed. They move fast. I'll yeah. put it that way. No two ways about it. As we wrap up here and just kind of talking about the state of the game in general, I'll ask you real quick. You touched on a, a little bit of uh, something that may fall under this, but are there any things that you think would benefit baseball from the product standpoint the quality of what we're seeing between the lines, whether that's a rule change or maybe just that focus on the fundamentals that you just kind of went through. But it's something in particular that you look at and think, you know, if baseball were to do this, that might help out an awful lot. Well, I come from the year, the years of pre-internet and all that stuff. But if there's one thing I learned from Ted Turner and TBS is that we got to expose the game to more people. Mm -hmm. Now, more people are probably watching it than ever before. I don't know, but. My experience from learning from Braves country, as we call it, is that there needs to be a lot more free baseball on and a lot more cheaper tickets, if not free tickets, at the stadium somehow. I think it grows fans in the future, and it's just got to be out there. The product's got to be out there. And I would love to see, you know, some rule changes. I, I, I think we could cut off 
a half hour of the average game time by tweaking a few things. And again, I think uh, Major League Baseball, the other thing I think about, I know they've, they've got some good programs, the RBI program and the uh, play ball program, yep. but I would like to see some innovation in youth baseball and get more kids, not only the travel ball players, but just more kids playing the game. You know, maybe invent a different game. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, we played wiffle ball. You probably played wiffle ball did, or over yeah. the line. You know, something to get more kids involved in the game. Those are some of my thoughts. But I, I'd say exposure, and it may cost money, but exposure to the game and to everything about the game is is one thing I think about a lot. Absolutely, and I think with the game bringing in more money than it ever has before, that it really, if there's a time to strike, then you've got the funds in place, so why not go out there and, as you said, try to innovate a little bit, and that would benefit baseball, and I think fan experience would benefit from that as well. So. A lot of cool yeah, things can agree. happen when you kind of put agree. your minds to it and put your minds together and try to do something good, which, of course, is uh, a big part of what makes baseball so much fun for so many people. Murph, tell us a little bit about what else you've got going on these days. I've had a chance to check out Murph's, the restaurant over near the ballpark. It's up at the Galleria. I've it's enjoyed Galleria. it quite a bit. Uh, how's the restaurant life Thank going, and, and how are things over there? <laughs> well, we're having fun at Murph's. i got a great team, you know, since I can't be there every day, obviously. Things are going well. We're, like I say, we're in the Galleria, just a short walk over the bridge, over 285 to uh, Battery. And uh, we're just having a blast. Really good feedback, really good food. I, mm-hmm. I got good partners, and it's been a great learning experience for me. So we're looking to grow. That's what we want to do. And got my podcast, Power Alley, that I do with uh, my good friend Bill Riley out here in Salt Lake. You know, I'm writing a little bit for The Athletic. Enjoyed that experience. And you know, I'm trying to do that social media stuff. Uh, yep. My wife, Nancy, helps keeps me organized because it moves too fast for me. No doubt. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm enjoying things. Uh, it's a different world we live in. It's an interesting world. You can connect with people in ways you've never been able to connect before through social media. It's been really interesting, and I'm enjoying myself. Uh, I always miss the game, love the game, love to watch the Braves play. I think we got to great shot at winning it all this year yeah a lot of fun to watch the Braves this year and you, you mentioned how much you know we're connected across the, all these different platforms social media and whatnot and I know for me just kind of sitting here today it's a thrill to be able to talk to somebody who helped me learn to love the game of baseball and be inspired to well you know, jump in and around the business as well so I really appreciate the chat you. and getting to spend all this time thank talking you. baseball with you for sure thank you Grant appreciate that very much thank you all right well we'll uh, send folks over to Murph's of course as much as we can and invite <laughs> right. you to check out the podcast as well Dale Murphy thank you so much look forward to chatting with you again soon you got a grant anytime thanks be sure you're staying up to date with everything that's going on with dale murphy you can find him on twitter at dale murphy three dale you can find all the other things that he's doing and of course make sure you head on over if you're near suntrust park for a game or even just randomly during the week any time of the year head on over to murph's and make sure you try the cheese curds i can confirm those are extremely good And you can find out more about the restaurant, eatatmurphs.com, is where you can get all that info. Again, thanks so much to Dale Murphy for joining the show. Before we get out of here, let's take a look at what's upcoming for the Braves. Just one more series to go before the All-Star break. It's three games against the Miami Marlins over the weekend. Then the club is off until the following Friday after the All-Star break. Of course, the All-Star game on Tuesday. Make sure you're tuned in to see Freddie Freeman, Ronald Acuna Jr., both starting Mike Soroka is on the all-star pitching staff for the National League, and Brian Snitker is on that National League coaching staff as well. 
and you'll get a little bit of extra from Ronald Acuna Jr. as he's in that home run derby. So lots of Braves flavor up in Cleveland for the Midsummer Classic. Make sure you're tuned in to all that, and we'll break it all down on From the Diamond next time. When the Braves come back from their all-star break, they'll be taking a trip out to San Diego and then to Milwaukee. Then it's a four-game series at home against the Washington Nationals. About a month ago, that might not have been as intriguing in terms of the Nationals fighting just to get back to 500. Well, they've accomplished that. They've also now leapfrogged the Phillies in the standings heading into the final weekend before the all-star game. A little bit more intrigue. A lot of games left between these division rivals as well, the Braves and the Nats. So every single one of those could be important down the stretch. As always, I hope you enjoy each and every episode of From the Diamond. You can subscribe to the podcast if you have not already. iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Ratings and reviews appreciated. On Twitter, at FromTheDiamond underscore. I am at Grant McCauley, FromTheDiamond.com. You can find each and every episode of the show. Also, some articles and other special features throughout the season. And make sure you're following along on Instagram now. You can find me at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. The show is at From the Diamond. No underscore for that. If you look at my recent post, you'll find one for the baseball card giveaway that I'm doing for the All-Star Game. I'll be giving away those three cards on Tuesday night. One Freddie Freeman, one Ronald Acuna Jr., and one Mike Soroka for one lucky winner. Just make sure you follow me on Instagram at Grant McCauley and at From the Diamond as well to connect with the show and keep up with all the fun all-star stuff that we're doing as we head toward the break and get set for the second half. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to From the Diamond. Look forward to chatting some Braves and baseball with you again next time. And until then, I'm Grant McCauley. So long, everyone.